Hello and welcome to the Coffee Gals podcast, brought to you by the team behind the Ottawa Coffee Fest. Bonjour et bienvenue au podcast Café, présenté par l'équipe derrière le Café Fest Ottawa. My name is Mel. Et mon nom est Jen. Every few weeks, we'll be speaking with different people within the industry, so you can get to know more about your favorite local roasters and coffee shops. Let's get started. Today, we're here with two very special guests, Miguel Mateo, Commercial Manager at Manos Campesinas, a fair trade coffee exporting cooperative in Guatemala, and Felipe Gurtian, Sourcing Manager at Cooperative Coffees, an organization that imports coffee directly from producer partners. In this episode, we'll be discussing how COVID-19 is impacting the lives of people who work and live in coffee producing countries. As Canadians, we receive many of our essential goods from these regions, including textiles, sugar, and coffee. So it's important to see things from a new perspective and try to understand how the pandemic is affecting these communities in ways that we don't always consider from day to day because their reality is significantly different than ours. A big thank you to Equator Coffee Roasters for connecting us to the guests on today's episode. Hello, Miguel and Felipe. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. So let's start with you, Miguel. Um, can you please tell us about yourself and your role at uh, Manos Campesinas? Hello. Uh, thank you very much for your invitation. My name is Miguel Mateo. I am the commercial manager at Manos Campesinas in Guatemala. Manos Campesinas, it is a second level organization. Uh, Manos Campesinas, it is a farmer-owned organization in Guatemala, representing 1,378 farmers. 27% uh, of, of the members of Manos Campesinas are women. women. We work in 13 municipalities and uh, also 81 communities where the, the members of Manos Campesinas uh, live. That's great. And uh, Felipe, can you tell us about Cooperatives Coffees and your role within that organization? Sure. Um, well, first off, it's, it's a pleasure to be here and to be interviewed. Um, so Cooperative Coffees is a cooperative of small and medium-sized coffee roasters that um, started 20 years ago. We're celebrating our 20th anniversary this 2020. And... Um, it started off as a cooperative of uh, small and medium-sized uh, roasters that uh, banded together essentially to source coffee as directly as possible from small-scale producers who are also organizing cooperatives. So we exist to import exclusively fair trade and organic coffees. And today we work with over 35 producer cooperatives across 14 different countries in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Um, as sourcing manager, I oversee our sourcing work and different processes involved in kind of importing um, green coffee from our different producer partners. Uh, but I also save as, serve as the main buyer for coffees from Latin America and Africa. So um, essentially what that in, implies is that, you know, based on the needs as determined by uh, my colleagues in sales, I negotiate and set up purchase contracts with uh, the different partner cooperatives and essentially conduct a follow through or with all those uh, supply chain partners from the point of contracting to shipment and then kind of provide the, you know, uh, the feedback kind of relative to all that coffee that comes in. 
you know, there's there's additional roles involved in this, and um, you know, I also strive to keep members as informed as possible about uh, what's going on in sourcing and what's happening in producer communities. It sounds like two very interesting roles, and so you, you you're both kind of in in communication with with each other. Yes, uh, in in case of Manos Campesinas, we. Uh, export coffee to North America, Europe, and New Zealand. And we are very happy that uh, cooperative coffees is one of the, uh, of the most important importing uh, uh, cooperative that we work with since uh, uh, about 20 years or 21 years ago. And actually you, you get some of our coffee in, in Canada through Equator Coffee. So we're always happy to send our beans to to Canada and, 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 and so the consumers can, can have the chance to, to have some great organic coffee that we grow here in, in Guatemala. We're really big fans of Equator. So that's, that's awesome to hear that we have it right here in Ottawa. Um, so Miguel, as a coffee manager in Guatemala, you're experiencing firsthand the impact of COVID-19. So can you tell us a bit more about how the pandemic has affected production and exporting in your region as well as the overall day-to-day operations of the small-scale farmer families? Uh, yes, well, uh, in Guatemala, we were not prepared for COVID. So I, I don't think many countries were very prepared for COVID. So, in, so it was the same experience we had in Guatemala. The public hospitals, they collapsed very fast with a very few cases. Uh, we, we don't have a very strong health system, uh, a public system in, in Guatemala. So uh, the problem started in, in the cities like Guatemala City and all those cities are, are, that are around Guatemala City. And also bigger cities like the city of Quetzaltenango or the city of San Marcos, basically in the biggest cities. And... Uh, for for this reason, the country was closed for, for, for some days, but then we found out that the country can be closed for many days because uh, our economy is not like the economy of Europe or in some countries of Europe where they can close the country for so many days in sometimes months. But in Guatemala, it's very difficult because people live on daily work. I mean, they work one day, one day and then they have their food for next day. So it's not very easy for the government to ask uh, the economy to close for so many, many days. So this is uh, the basic problem in Guatemala because we don't have much insurance, we don't have uh, uh, much protection or economical support from the government. In 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 the case is even worse in communities uh, because the government uh, decided to help people that uh, based on on the on the, on the invoice that came for electricity. But in most of the communities, they don't have electricity, so most poor people didn't have access to to some support from from the government. In 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 the case of of uh, the coffee uh, community, I mentioned before that we work with 81 communities. Uh, the harvest starts from from October and ends some time late uh, April or sometimes May. And we start exporting coffee at Manos Campesinas from February, and we will wish to finish somewhere around July. And so 
uh, e even when the, uh, the government decided not to close the exporting area of the economy, so so we could we could continue to export the coffee. We, we didn't face that problem. And also the, the COVID started in Guatemala somewhere around March and almost the majority of the coffee was already harvested. And, and so it took a little, it was a little bit difficult to move the coffee from the communities to Guatemala City though, because we, we were needing to move coffees on April and also even May. In some of the coffee, we we could only move that coffee on on, on June, so that, that that was a problem. And also, uh, some in during that that time, sometimes uh, uh, in the in the dry mill, some of the employees got COVID, and so we we couldn't mill the coffee as fast as we we used to do. But uh, but at, at the at the end we could ship all the coffees and we we could fulfill our our contracts and we didn't didn't have much problems on 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 that side. Uh, so far, uh, five of the members of Manas Campesinas they died. Um, only two members of the employees they got uh, ill, but but they are fine now. So. Yeah, uh, I would say that this is the experience that we we have. Um, now, uh, the context is not kind of the, the COVID cases are going up in the cities again. Uh, it's July because in July we experienced the most, uh, the, the highest number of infection. But uh, after the economy was uh, open, everything is open now. Uh, it looks like that the, the cases are going up and uh, we'll see what happens now, what's going to happen on, on December, because, you know, uh, for, for holidays here, people get together, and we'll see what, what happens. Mm -hmm. Well, our deepest uh, sympathies for everyone at your, at your, your company. That uh, must have been very hard to get through. Um, but hopefully everyone's feeling better now and, and can kind of go forward. Um, so will will the you said that you were kind of affected um you know in terms of timing you were able to kind of be able to to get the coffee out but for 2021 will you will that be affected too much or are things are on on track for for the new harvest We are changing the system that we do uh uh, we do work with farmers. Uh, technical assistance started to be more directly to each single farmer and no more meetings with groups. And also we started to use uh, technology more than, than before. And we are kind of taking all the, uh, uh, the cautions in, in planning uh, better than last year and hopefully things would be fine now with with harvest i know uh, we we will uh, there will be so many changes and uh, we, we will not work on the same way but uh, we are sure that we can we can do it because also the the farmers they have learned also how to to uh, keep their themselves uh, safe and and we, but you know the economy i mean the, uh, Family work has to go because farmers they live out of their coffee, out of their production, so they they can stop working. So and and also 
we are j just going to, 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 to have some prevention. It's all we, we are going to do. Yeah, that's, that's great. I guess there's a, a bit more planning involved. Um, you were talking about, uh, you know, working with the farmers. So how is Manos Campesinas assisting its farmers um, from, from the fallout of the pandemic? Uh, when I think it was on July when, when, when we found out that maybe families run out of some money. And so Manos Campesinas, some have uh, a common budget uh, I mean, it's a, all the budget of Manos Campesinas is is basically owned by the farmers that are the members, and the board of directors decided to uh, to have to give support to the farmers, and they uh, they deliver about twenty seven thousand uh, dollars of, of uh, economic support, and, and so they each single farmer receives uh, part of this. Um, of this money, and also the the board of directors decided that if someone uh, of the members of Manos Campesinas got uh, get ill because of COVID, they will be some support with food um, until they recover. And so, uh, this is basically what uh, Manos Campesinas is doing now. And and uh, I think the the farmers appreciate very much uh, to be part of an organization like Manos Campesinas. That's great. I'm glad that you were able to, to support your different farmers throughout the pandemic. I'm sure that, you know, every, you've all had to adapt pretty quickly. So I, you know, I'm glad that there is some, some relief happening. It's really interesting to hear the, this, like, this perspective and hear how things are happening um, in different countries because there's, you know, there's obviously a lot going on. It's hard to, in the world, and it's hard to keep up with, like, what's happening in, in each country. So thank you for sharing. Felipe, I'm, I'm going to go over to you now. So uh, obviously, you have a lot of contact with partners in different producer countries. Um, and as a result, I'm, I'm sure you've been able to develop a really good sense for the impact of COVID-19 in the different areas in Latin America. So what are you hearing most often from the farmers? And how has the pandemic affected the coffee sourcing, buying, and importing process? The effects have been varied. So like um, Miguel mentioned, you know, the harvest uh, particular, so harvests are different. They vary by geography. So in the case of Central America, they generally happen from November through to March, April, May, perhaps. Whereas in other countries, say um, in Colombia, Peru, uh, countries in South America, Central Africa, um, harvest is generally happening happening starting April, May uh, through to September. So really, the, as the pandemic started spreading um, and we started seeing um, cases developing in countries, you know, really after March or April. So in many sense, in, in, in Central America and South America, Africa, Asia. Um, so the effects have been different, like uh, the effects on operations, the effects on communities uh, for essentially getting coffee from farmers to um, warehouses, from warehouses to mills, from mills to export. And that has all varied in, in different countries just relative to when the harvest is happening. So, you know, for example, in Central America, where um, the harvest was finalized pretty much by, you know, in, in almost its entirety, I would say by 80% by March, um, you know, it's, it's less of a problem because co coffee is pretty much um, nearly collected in, in a centralized warehouse by then. 
and really the effects of, of the pandemic and restrictions of movement are mostly on uh, logistics and actually like Miguel mentioned um, on getting coffee from from their warehouse to the mill um, to and from the mill to export whereas uh, in South America for example when collections are really ramping up over the course of um, June July August Peru for example you know some of these movement restrictions really caused um, shortages in labor coffee is a, a very labor intensive crop because it involves uh, you know even the smallest of farmers they they can rely on both family labor but also on hired labor and oftentimes uh, because of these movement restrictions they didn't have access to that same labor so in many cases um, coffee on trees would uh, over ripen all on the ground and go unharvested um, in other cases you know it's it's it, you know farmers were overwhelmed because they couldn't get the necessary labor to, to collect coffee and um, you know that in turn caused a dynamic where in many uh, you know in those local markets because we need to realize that cooperatives are um, competing as well against other middle people middlemen that are buying the coffee directly from farmers so when you have um, a shortage of product you you have a, a you know an increase in prices and you know we need to consider this in a kind of uh, the context of a global coffee price crisis that we've been facing since um, since last year and you know this has really placed a lot of cooperatives exporters and intermediaries and in kind of between a rock and a hard place and pretty precarious situation where they're facing both a local market with extremely high prices and a global market with historically low prices that have been further exacerbated by an economic downturn. So there's, there's that in addition to, you know, the health effects and the lack of, um, you know, a government safety net and lack of both health and economic support that, you know, governments in North America or Europe are in capacity of providing. So in many senses, co-ops are faced both with having to kind of step in, provide that safety net as they have historically done so in kind of that void of both uh, government service and government support and government information campaigns, but also kind of serve as that, um, you know, operate in that, in that context. So, you know, uh, as far as, as kind of government response in, in, in the different producer countries that we work with, you know, there have been both, uh, you know, there's been varying levels of response. Um, there's been varying levels of, of economic support and varying levels on adherence on behalf of citizens to many mandated restrictions. So it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. So, but I can give a few examples, you know, um, kind of on one side of the spectrum where you have kind of the more um, low response or, you know, counterintuitive response. For example, you have places like in Nicaragua uh, where the government initially ignored the seriousness of the issue. And for example, early on in Nicaragua, the government mounted a march to dispel fears over COVID, calling it, you know, Amor en Tiempo de COVID after the Garcia Marquez novel or Love in Times of COVID. And, you know, and they've been riddled with accusations that they've been downplaying their hospitalization and fatality rates. Um, nevertheless, you know, as cases mounted, you know, major cities were faced with major outbreaks and health systems were overwhelmed. And, you know, even though 
by then harvest was finalized um, in Nicaragua, um, you know, uh, mills were very much affected. And, and uh, as happened in the case of Manos Campesinas, uh, one of our major partners had to close down the mill because they had a major outbreak of cases between members. Um, you know, other countries such as Honduras and Colombia, where there were significant limitations placed on movement, um, you know, the agro-export sector, you know, being recognized as a major driver of the economy and foreign income generator was deemed as essential and therefore exempt from many of these restrictions. Nevertheless, um, many producer communities and rural communities kind of uh, disregarded those exemptions and essentially allowed no, um, no transit from outside of the community to go through their, their communities. And, you know, for example, in Honduras, you had, um, you know, one of the major focus points for the pandemic was uh, the port city of Cortes and that whole municipality with the greatest amount of cases. So you had um, truckers delivering coffee to the port city and coming back. And then they were not allowed to go through different communities, despite the government having recognized agro export as essential for the government's economy, for the country's economy. And um, so essentially the whole logistics operation of, of getting coffee to export was severely limited. Eventually we did get all of our coffee out but um, you know it was it was severely hindered. Um, you know another example is um, you know Colombia. People associate Colombia to coffee, and um, you know it was deemed essential to the economy and therefore free of exemptions. And uh, nevertheless, we work with numerous indigenous cooperatives in 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 Colombia, and um, you know a lot of these um, self-governed uh, indigenous resguardos. Um, set up their own um, regulations and restrictions of movement, and they were very controlled. Uh, consequently, in Colombia, when you know harvest is happening from the months of, um, at least in, in southern Colombia, from the months of May through July, August, September, the abilities of these cooperatives to collect coffee were severely limited because of those um, uh, significant restrictions on movement, on labor, and um, uh, and on moving coffee from point A to point B. Yeah, it seems as though the the pandemic really highlighted some, you know, some lacks uh, of certain things in, in the whole coffee exportation system, um, obviously with the politics involved uh, of it all. But um, do you, like in your opinion, do you kind of see um, the system changing a little bit more in the next few years? Like you were, you were talking about, you know, how there's a, there's a global crisis, I guess, in terms of just the, the prices of, of coffee and everything. What's your opinion on, on all that? It's hard to say. Um, I mean, are you asking specifically about the price crisis or on kind of the COVID situation? Yeah, I guess it kind of overlaps in a way, but yeah. um, I suppose that, uh, well, COVID, let's, let's start with COVID itself. Okay. Yeah. You know, I think in, in North America and, and in Europe, there's a lot of talk about COVID fatigue. And um, just given the realities that a lot of producers and, and rural communities face on a daily basis. Um, and, you know, like Miguel mentioned, you know, a, a lot of these producer communities, they, they, they live hand to mouth. They either work in agriculture to provide for their families, uh, for themselves and, and to generate a, a little bit of income 
or they, uh, you know, are members of, you know, they're part of the informal economy, not necessarily the kind of jobs that provide a social security or any sort of safety net. So, um, you know, a lot of people in these rural communities are very much beholden to their work in order to survive. So it's despite what they um, are hearing about the necessity to stay home, et cetera, they, they can't stay home. They can't afford to stay home. Um, uh, otherwise, they won't survive. So, um, you know, I think that's where um, cooperatives really need to kind of strike that very tricky balance because they need to enable producers to continue earning their livelihoods by growing coffee and commercializing that coffee and getting the best prices that they can for their coffee, all the while protecting them and ensuring that best practices are in place so that they can mitigate the risk. So that's essentially one of those crucial functions that co-ops have had to fulfill and, um, you know, essentially uh, carry out education campaigns, adapt their operations so that they can receive coffee and um, receive coffee, receive members and, and essentially minimize the risks of economic activity in the context of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call it COVID fatigue per se. You know, in North America, we can allow ourselves the luxury of being fatigued by the idea of staying home. But here we're talking about, um, you know, the necessity to actually uh, earn an income. Otherwise, you know, you can't sustain your family. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wouldn't call it COVID fatigue, but there is kind of a necessity to move forward and push forward just for their, their economic sake. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, you were talking about, you know, the co-op coffees uh, helping out its, its roaster members. Um, so how, how, has it, how have you supported the, the relief efforts of the, the producer groups? Cooperative coffees, um, you know, several years ago, um, we implemented a, an impact fund kind of stemming from the Royal crisis and recognizing that uh, coffee leaf rust was a broader problem, you know, a symptom of a broader problem, which is coffee, uh, climate change. So we implemented uh, an impact fund where essentially for every single pound of coffee that we sell, we charge three cents. That goes to a fund that ultimately um, goes to support producer-led sustainability initiatives. Most <laughs> recently, we were supporting our, our carbon climate and coffee initiative, where we support producers in soil improvement and uh, reforestation programs. But kind of as a response to um, the crisis, we kind of had to turn on the dime and uh, essentially adapt that fund uh, and enable it so we could support producer um, COVID responses. So, you know, over the course of, you know, the last five or six months, I'd say, um, we've provided uh, almost 120,000 U.S. dollars uh, in direct cash transfers to producer cooperatives in order to allow co-ops to support members during the crisis. So, um, you know, different varying initiatives. Um, kind of one of the most common things we saw during the early part of the shutdown, we saw uh, runs on prices for basic food items. So many co-ops sought to provide food assistance and food baskets um, uh, to members during the initial days of the lockdown. Uh, as well as kind of direct cash payments to offset foregone income, whether it be for, you know, the economic crisis or sickness, like, you know, uh, Miguel mentioned. 
know, uh, also initiatives to provide um, uh, personal protective equipment in communities and, and COVID kits, as they call them, for, um, for staff and members, including, you know, uh, bottles of uh, hand sanitizer, masks, etc. Um, you know, informational campaigns, posters and educational material and, you know, kind of um, to, to inform members of, you know, what are the precautions to take. Uh, there were also cases where we financed uh, hand washing stations in, where, in collection warehouses um, in Colombia, as well uh, in partnership with the nonprofit on the ground. We financed over 40 hand washing stations at wet milling stations in, in, the, in the DR Congo and, um, and for, for the Mungano and Sopakti cooperatives. So kind of a mishmash of different response initiatives. That's great. Sounds like there's a, a lot of effort being put into to, uh, to, to helping out your different producer groups. So I'm really happy to, to hear that. I'm guessing you had kind of, you were working closely with them to kind of figure out what areas would be most helpful in terms of like, okay, we need, you know, educational material or we know we need PPE or like, how did you kind of pick? You know, in, in these kinds of responses, the timeliness of the response is, is the most important thing of all. Like even governments will say it, you know, you gotta have to have pull all the stops um, you know, we trust our producer partners to know how to invest resources in ways that is, you know, to maximize the benefits of them. A, a co-op is going to know uh, how to best invest um, that money in order to, um, to um, you know, minimize the impact of, of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Seems like uh, you had the, the hindsight of putting together like a, a fund for emergency relief. Well, I guess it started out as, as climate change, but um, that's sort of a, a good idea to, to, to have. Yeah, that certainly did. Um, you know, since we are we're already collecting this money, um, it was only a matter of kind of um, changing the mandate of, of that fund. And essentially, uh, you know, we went through a series of kind of procedural meetings uh, because it is managed by a committee within Co-op Coffees, a committee of members, and and you know, there, and thereafter it goes to a board. But this this you know, it was a pretty fast turnaround because members also um, recognize kind of uh, you know how precarious a lot of these communities is and the role that co-ops fulfill in terms of providing a sef- safety net to members. So um, you know, it was it was kind of a, a no-brainer to turn this around and and, and provide that support. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So Miguel, I'm just going to turn over to you and uh, we've already sort of covered this question with Felipe, but um, so, you know, in terms of the pandemic and highlighting certain things, certain issues, how do you feel? um, Like what did it bring to the coffee trade industry or highlight or overshadow? Well, what I've seen is that uh, the COVID-19 uh, uh, affected the economy in general because so many coffee shops were closed in the way that uh, the people do business changed very much uh, from the industry and also on the producer side. What, uh, I can see the, the, the traditional way of doing business in the industry Normally, the industry doesn't have any relation with producers. It's just business, just to have the coffee. But it's the, the, the relation, uh, like, like the one that we have with cooperative coffees or the roasters that are part of cooperative coffees uh, are very different. 
I think uh, now more than ever, we need uh, closer, the, the industry needs to be closer to the producer uh, in order to, uh, to meet what we call the sustainability because it, the COVID, it is just an issue now, but there is also climate change. And uh, so uh, I think uh, th this model of doing uh, the relation between Manos Campesinas and Cooperative Coffee can be an, an example. And, and also like Equator Coffee with Cooperative Coffees and with us. So it's, I think we, we need more of this uh, example of relation and cooperation uh, in the future because uh, as I mentioned, now is COVID, but then, then next year and two years and 10 years, we can see other things and now we, we have climate change. So that's what I can comment on, on this. More cooperation between industry and on, and, and on the producer side. It, it, it definitely, you know, to add to that, it's, um, you know, these are global challenges and, and really it, it calls for global solutions, you know, as, as kind of cliched as that sounds, um, you know, it's in a supply chain, you're, you're crossing borders and, and it, you know, it, it, we need to realize that, you know, we're a lot more interconnected than we think because, you know, the products that we consume are, 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 are you know, there's so many hands involved between, um, you know, from the farmer that picks it to, you know, the, the barista that serves you your cup, there's, there's so much uh, connected there. So it, it, it kind of highlights the importance of understanding, uh, you know, what are the challenges that, that the entire supply chain um, faces and, and kind of instigate these kinds of spaces where you can learn from each other. And, uh, you know, that's, really what we're also like trying to promote within co-op coffees is kind of bring more visibility to what some of the challenges are with 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 producers and uh, because you know um you know in a pandemic we you know in a you know economic downturn our default is going to be close down the hatches and 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 go in, into survival mode and just kind of become very insular and focused on on how do i pull through and oftentimes we'll kind of let go of, of, of paying attention to the world around us. And, you know, I, I, I think either Mel or Genevieve, you mentioned at the beginning, like, you know, we, we're, we're, we're so focused that oftentimes we, we forget how, um, you know, interconnected we can be. And, uh, you know, it, it's true, especially in an economic downturn. You know, a lot of the stuff uh, uh, kind of stops being in our daily news cycle in this in this kind of global pandemic. So it's really important to kind of try and get a, get a better understanding of what's going on so that we can know how to better support each other. You know, you'll, you'll find that there's ways of kind of um, leveraging those, those connections uh, between supply chain actors to have a greater impact. It's, it's really important to kind of uh, continue being aware and continue providing and opening up these spaces where people can learn about going on. Thank you for sharing that. I think, yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, the more we kind of educate ourselves on the entire process, it, it enlightens us on, you know, everything else that, that's going on. You know, yes, we have COVID fatigue. The climate change point is, is interesting to me. Like it, you know, I, I guess that could be a whole <laughs> separate conversation, but like, 
what was being done there, like in, in terms of, you know, the, you mentioned the fund kind of had to pivot, but like what kinds of things, this is a question for either one of you, like what kinds of things were, were happening there? I'll give it to Miguel. More firsthand experience on the ground with producers. Can you repeat the question again? Of course, yeah. Please. So you, you, you mentioned the how, you know, in a couple of years, we'll focus again on the main, you know, the issue of like climate change. So like what kinds of, what kinds of things were you, were you seeing there in, in terms of like the, the coffee trade um, industry? Like what, what's happening there? There isn't anything uh, clear about how things happen in market, like, uh, you know, whether, you know, coffee price is going to go up a little bit because the internet, international market is very low. And uh, on the, this is on the, on, on the market side and on the producing side, we have, you know, sometimes too much rain. Like in Guatemala, we have ETA and IOTA that affected the production I know in Honduras and other countries and also parts of Guatemala. And uh, so uh, all this, you know, uh, agriculture is, uh, is like that, you know, because, we, because the way that we produce our food, we, are, we have an expectation about how the rain is going to be, how the climate is going to be, or we will have more disease or maybe much water or less water. Uh, in case of coffee, maybe the coffee is going to be to dry on the trees and then we will not have a good quality coffee or maybe the coffee is going to be better because we had more rain. So these are, these are the things that we are on the expectation all the time. And right now, uh, in some places of Guatemala, where where we have the where the farmers live, in some places we had much rain. In other places that were dry places, uh, we, we were kind of uh, having a lot of rain, and we asked the farmers if that is going to have uh, some uh, impact on the quality of the cherries. And the farmers were very happy with Yota because. But uh, because finally they had uh, some rain on on this uh, the, on these dry places, so uh, this is this is what we see um, every year in on our experience in Guatemala, and uh, we are expecting now that uh, the rosers and will have some uh, will be lucky so they can sell more coffees uh, to the consumers and then we can be able to send more coffee so um, this is what we do uh, most of the time in every month every, every year in uh, because in our case of manos campesinas there are more farmers that want to join join the organization but the problem is that we don't we want we need to find the the right uh, roster companies, the right cooperatives, so the important companies that would give a right value to, to this coffee so, so we can allow them to be part of Manos Campesinas because more farmers coming into the system means more volume of coffee. But if, if we don't have the market for this coffee, then we have to ask them to wait a little bit. I, I just want to uh, mention that Manos Campesinas it have a commitment with organic coffee. So, so about 90% of the production is organic. The other 5% is on trans transition to organic. And so most of our coffee, now more than ever, we are 
kind of making better plants on uh, on planting more trees uh, for coffee shades and uh, so this is what uh, what uh, what we we are doing well we have been doing this uh, since 20 years ago so we will continue to do uh, this with the farmers and also uh, like uh, transferring new knowledge for uh, organic fertilizer and, and doing the best we can uh, uh, to uh, to not uh, do contamination with the production, but help the the ground and help uh, what is natural in this case. And and, and so uh, th this is what I can m mention in general. Maybe it's not the. I'm not sure I have answered the whole question because uh, that uh, so so many things that we live in 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 the producing countries. I think that's a a great response and. Maybe it's a, a to be continued, you know, because I think there's a, a whole lot to, to unpack there that would be really interesting for people to, to hear from. But I'm, I'm glad that, that we have these, these cooperatives who are, are working to kind of help with that, that whole collaboration and, and making that process, really highlighting that process, because it is, it is very important. And, you know, just increasing awareness all around for, for consumers as well. I, I don't think a lot of general consumers know about a lot of these issues and, and, uh, and it's really good to, to obviously to share that knowledge. Felipe, if there's anything that you want to add there. Picking up where, where Miguel left off, um, organic coffee producers are, you know, in our kind of estimation of kind of the current situation that the world is in, they're at the, forefront of, of kind of the fight against climate change, both they're most susceptible to climate change because, uh, you know, as an agricultural product, uh, you know, it's very um, affected by, you know, the, the amount of rain that it receives, the amount of sunlight that it receives, and those are all factors that are going to get affected by climate change. But also um, through the product, they can really implement strategies that can mitigate the effects of climate change. So um, Miguel mentioned tree cover, um, uh, you know, shade trees that can really help control moisture levels in a farm, prevent soil erosion, uh, but also, you know, um, through organic coffee, you know, there's, uh, there's more attention to soil and, and soil quality and soil health. Uh, a healthy soil in itself is going to be a carbon sponge. So it's, um, you know, that's kind of what, what has driven our, our, our response uh, to climate change within co-op coffees and kind of promoting uh, organic agriculture in a way that um, can really uh, offset the effects of climate change by making it a net um, carbon negative enterprise. And that's what we're trying, we're trying to support cooperatives to um, support those members, you know, conduct that transition. Cooperatives like Manos Campesinas that are um, teaching farmers uh, what are the best practices to uh, producing an organic product. And, you know, when that product is uh, produced, bringing that coffee to a market that can pay a, a sustainable price for it. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what we're, we're trying to do. And, you know, I, and, you know, bringing it, folding it back to uh, the, the theme of COVID, also kind of highlights that uh, essential function that um, cooperatives bring 
to former communities of uh, providing education, uh, you know, uh, and a social safety net and information in order for um, uh, producers to be able to um, continue providing for themselves. So, you know, these are, you know, functions that uh, you would think a government to uh, uh, offer, but uh, essentially, you know, in many of these places, uh, you know, governments are, don't have the resources or in many cases, even interest to be able to provide that support to rural communities. So um, it's kind of the key, one of the key functions that cooperatives have and, and kind of our commitment as cooperative coffees to continue su supporting these kinds of organizations. That's awesome. Thank, thank you for that important work that you're, you're both doing and in, in, in doing your part. Um, Felipe, where can people learn more about cooperative coffees and, and all these initiatives? We have our website, uh, coopcoffees.coop. We write a lot on our blog about some of the initiatives that we're working on. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we're kind of regularly providing updates on some of the work that we're doing with producers there. And Miguel, where can people learn more about Manos Campesinas? We have a web, web website. It's www.manoscampesinas.org. And they, they can have information there. It's not really updated, but we will do the best to update maybe this coming year, and we are we are not on social social media. Uh, maybe we are one of the few that we are not on social media, but uh, we are planning to be on Facebook and Instagram, and we'll you, you will probably find us in 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 few months in that. And that's great. Well, thank you both again for for joining us today and for sharing your stories. I think it's really eye opening and very informative, and it's going to make a lot of people think and reflect on, on everything that's going on and seeing the bigger picture a little bit. Thank you for having us and enjoy the winter with coffee. Thank you so much for listening. Our podcast is available on our website at ottawacoffeefest.ca. Tell your friends and share the love. Je m'appelle Jen et nous sommes les cafés. My name is Mel and we're the Coffee Gals. Thank you and stay tuned for our next episode coming out in a few weeks. Until then, keep supporting your local roasters and coffee shops. <laughs>